Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Matthew, how are you, my friend? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Living life in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> how about uh, you? Is summer breaking up there yet? I know it is down here. Oh, yeah. Everyone's in their flip-flops out here, short shorts, and, you know, all the things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, all Charleston, so... We're right next to the tourist hotspots and, and beaches and stuff. And so we get we get really pretty warm right around April 1. So we're a little bit spoiled. We're, we're knee deep at this point. Love that. I love that. It's such an honor to have you here, Matthew. We were just talking before the call, you know, all these ships in the market, what's happening in real estate and all these things. And I'm just like, man, we've got an interesting future in front of us. But, you know, before we get into all that, awesomeness and interestingness that we have going on in the markets. I want to know all about you and your background and how you really got yeah. into this space. So I'm going to start with my first question for you, which is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? I think probably pain, right? People generally make decisions based on pleasure or pain. I think it was pain for me. I was a eclectic sales background, medical sales, pharmaceutical sales, worked for Pella Windows and Doors, was in commercial roofing. And my last job was in medical sales. It's uh, cutthroat biz. It was tough being in the hospital setting a lot, you know, a lot of sick folks. And it's very, very much a kind of, I don't know, what have you done for me lately? kind of uh, feeling. And I was ready for change. And one of my best friends, Tyson Schutze, owns uh, a turnkey brokerage in Augusta, Georgia. He and I had talked over the years about me, you know, working with him in various areas and uh, maybe coming down to Augusta to learn the business. And he had me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Like so many of us have, have read as a first kind of box to check. Then he challenged me to get my real estate license. He said, if, if you get your real estate license, I know you're serious. And so five weeks later, I had my real estate license in Kentucky. That's where I was based at the time. And moved to Augusta, Georgia to work with him and learn the business. It's been a ride since I got into real estate. I moved down to Augusta on a wing and a prayer, you know, a loan against my 401k and my mother's 401k. Uh, 60 grand, I think, is what I moved with. And yeah, right. That doesn't go very far in real estate. So uh, <laughs> I was, I flipped a couple, I did a couple creative financing deals, was learning, you know, just, just absorbing, reading, investing in myself, trying to go to, I think family reunion with Keller Williams was the very first conference that I ever paid for as an investment in myself. Uh, but anyway, I was doing a lot of different things at an average level, you know, maybe good, but not great. And I was down to, I think, like four grand. We had the discussion, like, am I going to go back to Louisville, Kentucky with my tail between my legs? Or am I going to try to stay the course and get get focused? And that was the decision. I started working as a buyer's agent almost exclusively, working with his kind of regional investment base and started bird dogging homes 
for, for those guys to buy. And then we would renovate and then rent them out for them. Gosh, shortly after that, in walked at a large hedge fund, started working with them about a year into real estate. Thankfully, I was fluent by then. But yeah, we renovated 5,000 homes in about a four and a half year period in 17 cities and 11 states. They ended up being, I think, one of the top 10 funds in the country, Conrax. They got rolled up. But anyway, co-directors of renovation, he and I both relocated to Charleston to work for them. And it's been a, just a tornado ever since then, you know, paradigm shifting in every way. Left the fund about four years ago and started buying and selling for myself. We made those guys a lot of money. Made a lot of money doing it ourselves, but they started going kind of corporate and I'm a little bit allergic to that uh, environment. Anyway, got my my operating businesses, brokerage, investment firm. In, we're in three cities now and still trying to figure it out, just failing forward like usual. I love that. I love that, Matthew. Thank you so much for sharing that. 4,000 house. Oh my God. That sounds like a production and a half. You know, some people are like, how can I flip one house? Let alone like all of that. (laughs) It's amazing. So like question for you, what did you want to be growing up as a kid? Like what was your dream? I don't know that I've ever had kind of one thing. Certainly not from like an occupation standpoint, I guess. I'm, I'm kind of one of those weird birds that I knew I wanted to be a dad from an early age got two great kids now and that's great but no I was good at a bunch of different stuff you know kind of kind of could have gone in probably four or five different directions and uh got a marketing degree cuz my dad had one right like n- no real drive in in any direction and then I was just miserable in you know few sales roles there at the end before I decided to take a leap of faith and start betting on myself so I love that. I love that. And so growing up, like who or what inspired you the most? Wow. I, you know, I always point to my parents. I mean, certainly great upbringing. We didn't ever really want for anything. We weren't necessarily super well off by any means, but, but again, you know, food on the table every night, went to good schools. I think that I've had a few different people inside, like a math teacher in high school really was an inspiring figure, Mr. Gonder. Uh, I haven't said his name in years, but uh, yeah, just, just different people. It's, it's weird. It's like when the student is ready, the teacher appears kind of thing. Like, I feel like different points, I was ready for different things and ended up kind of, I don't know, connecting with the right people at the right time. You know, it takes a village to succeed at a high level and, and it takes a lot of failure, hard lessons, et cetera. But I've had, I've had a bunch of good, I mean, Tyson, the, the guy that was my business partner when I first got into real estate. I mean, what, what a, I mean, he's my first mentor in real estate, changed my life in a lot of ways. Still one of my best friends. I've been pretty blessed in, in, in regards to the, to the mentor stuff throughout my life. I love that. I love that. So like walk me through like childhood and then like past high school. Like what was the, what was the journey? I was just kind of, you know, the the kid that played soccer growing up. We were in Wisconsin. I was born in Loveland. I'm kind of a mutt. So I was born in Loveland, Colorado, the great flood of 1977 and the big Thompson river washed my parents' house away in 1977. So we moved into the city and then a year later we're living in Wisconsin we were in Wisconsin until I was 10, you know, causing all, all kinds of trouble, just like every other kid does at that age. And then we relocated. My father was in healthcare administration. 
and uh, he relocated to um, Louisville, Kentucky, which is where Humana was based when Humana was still a hospital, right? And not just insurance. And so we were in Louisville for the vast majority of my life, 25 years, I think. I moved to Augusta, Georgia, and then Charleston behind it after, you know, finding my way through into real estate and then through the the fund experience and down in Charleston, happy as can be married with two kids and still trying to get it right in real estate. You know, the rules change at such a frequent pace. It's like right when you, you feel like you got it figured out, it's something else changes, right? So it's kind of perpetual change. So especially in the last 14 months, which we were talking about earlier, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh man. And we'll get into that for sure. Now, throughout your life and career, it could be either or, but what were some of your biggest struggles and what were the biggest lessons learned from that? I think prior to real estate, just kind of like, you know, ADBC or whatever, um, prior to real estate, I think it was really hard for me to, and this this is where my disdain for the corporate world started. I think when I see an apple, I like to call it an apple and not an orange. Uh, when I see a square, I call it a square instead of a circle, right? Like the corporate world, you, you end up having to subscribe to behavior and ideology that goes completely against what you know is right, right? Because it's so politically charged. And I just hated that. I, I've always been somebody that's transparent, wear my emotion on my sleeve. I am who I am, right? I'm very comfortable in my own skin and and since I've been in real estate, I've really been able to live that, I think, a lot a lot easier. Being an entrepreneur, you, you tend to set your own rules. Although you end up, you feel like you uh, get into to business for yourself, to work for yourself, but then you end up working for everybody, right? It's, it's like you got a, got a million bosses now. But no, but I we've got a great culture at our at our companies. And uh, I, I feel like it's an extension of, of who I am. And we, yeah, we just try to do it the right way. For the right reasons. There's a lot of bad actors in real estate, as as you know. I think that the, it's too bad, right? You can succeed at such a high level by doing it the right way that like the people that don't, I think they're, they choose to be bad people. It just makes no sense to me. So anyway, I'm lucky that I can do it and do it the right way and take care of people and really try to help everyone win, myself included, my team included, you know, through real estate. It's important. Right. And real estate's really like a long-term type of business. So, and it's very difficult to build. As you know, most people walk away. Like if you really don't have a passion for it, like you're gone pretty fast, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's a yeah. long game, you know, it so is. how, how did you start into the game and how did you scale at the level that you did yeah so i mean it was a lot easier to scale on someone else's nickel right uh when we had the wall street money behind us we were able to fail forward i think without feeling as much pain now since i've been gone from the fund and i'm on my own nickel now it's been uh, you know a little bit different animal i still believe that failing forward is a is a necessary uh, part of the process but we would hire a guy in each city and we would manage that person and build their business. We didn't ever want to talk to the plumbers and the electricians and trades, and that was too granular. But we tried to find somebody who was young, hungry, entrepreneurial, talented, maybe had tried before on their own and failed, right, without the right support. And we built a lot of really big construction businesses in these different cities for the fund. Our biggest guys were doing 
I think we had a few guys that were doing 30 houses a month, Birmingham and Columbia at their height. And uh, those people don't exist, right? You have to build those 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 folks up to that. So I'm still working on it. You know, frustratingly, I, my construction kind of vertical has not been able to service third party yet. I'm still not to that iteration because we can't seem to, you know, chew through our own assets effectively. So it's we've scaled our brokerage and are scaling our brokerage. Uh, we're in three cities now. And we've scaled our investment firm also in three cities, Atlanta, Augusta, Columbia, you mentioned earlier to you, but it's a work in progress and it takes a long time to your point. It's, it's, uh, you gotta be in it for the long haul. You gotta be in it for far more than money. I think to your point earlier, folks that wash out, they, I think the allure of, you know, making, making big money or quick money or whatever it is brings a lot of people in, but that's not going to, that's not, you're not going to stay the course if that's all it's about, right? You got to have some passion behind it. So thankfully I have that. And we've got a team that has that too. That's amazing. That's amazing, Matthew. And like, you know, cause I, I always have entrepreneurs ask me like, how the hell do you even get started in real estate? Like what's the first step? Cause you know, this industry has a million and a half different verticals that you could go. So it's like yeah. for somebody who's listening right now, that's like, you know, how did he get started? You know, what are some tips that you would say for somebody starting off that may want to go down a similar path as you? And what were some of the biggest takeaways kind of throughout your journey? Yeah, I think, you know, you can, you can certainly start by getting your license. I mean, that's, decent from a educational standpoint, you know, the challenge with the licensure process is it doesn't teach you how to be a successful business person. And, you know, far too many people get their license and then get thrown out into the, the big ocean and uh, it's sink or swim. I think starters on the off market side, wholesalers tend to, I think, be the starting point, and, you know, because you can, you can do texting and you can do cold calling and some, some of those lower cost marketing avenues and uh, generate some deal flow that way. To get to where you're buying and selling and, and doing it at scale, you have to have systems, you have to have funds, you have to have you know a lot of experience and um, but don't be afraid is what I would say to the to people that are you know trying to figure out how to get into it. It's 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 called just taking action. That is fundamentally what every entrepreneur does, especially the successful ones. They pivot and they take action immediately, even if it's imperfect action, and figure it out. I mean, it's it's just every journey is iterative, right? You're going to fail. You're going to bump your head into the wall, and then you're not going to do it again, right, if you're smart. And uh, I would just say take action. I wish I would have gotten into real estate a decade before I did. I promise you that. I feel like everyone in real estate says the same thing. They're like, I wish I got into it sooner. Damn it. Oh, crap. You know? Yeah. And I mean, there's so many people out there now that are like, you know, they I want to get into real estate. I want to do this. I want to do that. And like, for me, I've always said, you know, you got to decide whether you want active or passive income, like what works with your lifestyle. Right. Because like sure. you, you and I, Matthew, you know, we're like, we're all in, we're like, we're not, we don't do the whole corporate thing. Like we're rogue and we do what we want to do. You know what I mean? So like real estate is like a perfect outlet for that. But for those who are, you know, a little bit more conservative that do have, you know, the, the traditional jobs, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I always tell them, I'm like, you can invest in funds, you can raise cap, you know, you can invest in, in established kind of asset management companies. I mean, there's funds, there's all kinds of things to provide you dividends. 
on your money. You know, you don't have to just like drop everything and, and go. Although of course you absolutely can, like you said, you need to learn the game, then build the systems and processes and everything kind of that, that goes alongside with it. So it's an interesting thing. I think you bring up an interesting point and maybe that's a segue to kind of what we're doing now and, and moving forward, but you're right. You don't have to be an operator. I think in a lot of cases, our private lenders, the people that just have, you know, a high cash flowing dental position, let's say, or whatever it may be, putting their money to work where their money's making money without the, you know, the toilets, tenants, and termites, as the cliche goes. I, I think a lot of times our lenders make almost as much as we do. I really believe that they come close. In fact, I know they do. And they don't have any of the headaches that come with it. And it's still backed by a hard asset, right? It's a, it's a fantastic way to invest without doing the heavy lifting, for sure. Absolutely. And that's the passive side of the business. So I tell everyone, I'm like, listen, there's ways for you to get involved where you're not just like risking everything, quitting your job and going into it. So I love that you that you mentioned that, that you know that there's opportunity for people to really do this on a passive level. And you don't have to own multifamily to do that. You could just invest in somebody to do it really for you, which is how you've built the, your model out to date. Yep. That's kind of what you're working on now, Matthew. Yes, we talk a little bit more about that. So how did you kind of shift from what you were doing before with all the flips and everything? You mentioned you were with the fund and then transition into into this. Yeah. So I, when I left the fund about four years ago, wanted to create something that was similar, but not quite as scaled. There was a lot of time spent on airplanes, as you can imagine back then. And I would not do the same thing again with two young children now, but yeah, we wanted to get into real estate, buying and selling for ourselves. We will buy, renovate, and sell. That's the flip. We also will buy, renovate, and refinance. I've kept, I think, 30 rentals in the last 18 months because I want that residual income. And, and now, in an effort to get away from some of the private lending, allow us to be a little bit more agile and maybe take some, some bigger bites, if you will, um, do some bigger deals. Uh, we're raising a $5 million uh, fund right now. And actually at makemethebank.com, that's that's the website where I've got a, I've got a VSL there, right? Ex explanation on why it makes sense to be a lender uh, or potentially invest in the fund. It's a great way to get into the business without, you know, taking some lumps uh, as as the operator for sure. But hopefully we we get that raised up. We maybe take down some multifamily maybe some self-storage, maybe some portfolio acquisitions. I think there's going to be some opportunity for all of the above uh, here in the next 12 to 18 months with the shift going on right now. And uh, hopefully we've got some dry powder to, you know, make some good purchases. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and walk me through like a deal that would be a home run for you. So like what to really look for in an acquisition, because we are coming into a time where there's a lot that's going to be flooding the market. For those of you who don't know, you're going to hear it from me time and time again, because we've got 3 trillion worth of commercial real estate assets coming due in the next 18 months. And what that basically means is uh, the commercial markets across the United States are going to be an absolute shit show. No other way to say it. <laughs> They're like, you just got to prepare yourself. So everybody who's been hoarding cash, I already know, you know, some of the biggest companies like JP Morgan Chase and all the big dogs, all the equity funds have been literally hoarding cash, waiting for something like this to go down. Yep. So it's super important to understand, like, how do you go in and, and acquire what to look for in these acquisitions? 
because, you know, some of them could be office buildings that you're going to convert into residential, how, you know, what, what metrics to look for and that kind of thing, because whether you're doing it yourself or you're investing in a fund, you want to make sure like, okay, Hey, what are we targeting and staying ahead of the curve yeah, for the totally. long-term value? hundred percent. I think, you know, a lot of people do kind of a syndication deal structure when they're buying multifamily. That's basically like a one asset fund, as you know. So it, I think the biggest thing is, can you add value? Because when you get into the bigger commercial and the multifamily, the valuation is, is derived from net operating income. And so you have some control points that you don't have in single family. Single family valuations obviously come from comping right? The, the the comparative valuations of the houses that are bought and sold in the immediate area for the beginners on the, on the podcast here. But yeah, the bigger assets, I mean, you want to say, hey, can I raise the rent? Can I lower some costs in, in overhead? Um, can I do both? Um, I think that's what you're looking for when you're talking about commercial, uh, multifamily. Can I raise rents? Is the management in place dysfunctional in some way? Could you take utilities and have the tenants pay for utilities, et cetera? And you can really jump up the value of, of what you're buying. So it's important to get a, a discount on the front end if you can, but it's even more important than that, in my opinion, that the value add opportunity is, is, is a part of the deal for sure. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting because, and this is what I keep telling everyone. I'm like, listen, you look at commercial assets just because, you know, everyone's like retail's dying. I'm like, yes, re retail is kind of dead. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. But what that means is you're going to do it on the flip side and see where the demand comes in, which is in the industrial footprint. So now the retail is getting smaller, but the industrial footprint is getting bigger. So it's not that anything's dying. It's just shifting demand. So how yep. do you move accordingly? And, you know, when it comes to the retail spot, the only thing that these retailers can't compete with, you know, like Amazon and stuff like that. I mean, you've, you're dealing with when it comes to product, product, you can pretty much go online and comp anything out. The key yep. is creating like a customer experience. That's really what all the retailers are going for now. And that's why they have a smaller footprint, which is totally cool. So just know where your demand is going. Like if there's an office building, could you create it into a co-working space, which has ridiculous demand right now? You know, yep. could you convert it into residential? So it's like, you know, watch consumer behavior. Don't be afraid to go with logic. Cause I think that what happens a lot of the time is like these big funds and all this stuff, you know, they're like, well, this is what we've had, you know, and this is what's been tested and true. And it's like, that's great. But if you don't shift with the market, there's going to be significant issues in what you're doing. So it's just fascinating, you know, like the value add, like you were saying, like even looking at different properties, like is there, are you in a city that, you know, will allow you to build an accessory dwelling unit? Could yep. you add that in, maximize your property footprint? I mean, like there is like the list goes on and on and on. The key is you're adding value, like you said. Yeah. I mean, convert, I mean, conversion. Right. We, we, but that's what you're, you know, that's what you're speaking to. I mean, that's a fantastic idea to, to convert an asset, right? Take a hotel and carve it up into a bunch of condos and sell out individual condos. I mean, there's tons of people doing stuff like that because the hotels aren't, you know, post COVID aren't getting uh, the use that they had pre COVID, so on and so forth. Anyway, shopping malls, to your point, strip malls, retail stuff. It's just, it's just not going to be 
used in the same way that it has been historically, given everybody working remotely, shopping online, uh, et cetera. It's, it's, it's changing. So whoever figures out what to do with shopping malls, for instance, is going to just crush it, right? Half of our shopping mall actually got converted, purchased uh, and converted into a medical office space um, mm. for our local wow. hospital, which I thought was pretty interesting uh, conversion. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. I think to your point, you just have to be aware of of the direction uh, of whatever the asset uh, group is, and and see if you can, you know, land ahead of that. Absolutely, absolutely, Matthew. It's all about adding the value at the end of the day. And then you know, the more creative you are, the first you are to market, or the more brave, you know, the more money that you're able to make. Right? High risk, high reward, and that's just how the game goes. Yeah. You know, as long as the numbers make sense and it's logical, it's not something, you know, to the moon and back, <laughs> you know, but there's going to yeah. be so much opportunity, so much opportunity coming. Do you have any other tips for anybody who is like, well, crap, how do I prepare for this uh, mess that's coming? Yeah, I think that, although I said action and I still firmly believe taking action is, is um, you know, mandatory uh, for change, I would say it's not always the appropriate action to take to move into buying and selling or renovating right out of the gate. I think I mentioned earlier when I went to the KW conference, you know, investing in yourself and the education and learning from other folks in your network that might, you know, be a part of your team. I'd say I always start with investing in yourself. And then I think you'll figure out what direction is going to feel right post that because you don't know what you don't know absolutely absolutely matthew i love that i love that and then this is my favorite question like ever and this could be business or personal whatever resonates with you what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now aside from getting into real estate sooner (laughs) yeah that's for sure that's a given you know i think in the last few years, I've been a part of some mastermind groups that uh, focus on, you know, how do you live the life of your dreams now? I think people convince themselves that they need far more money than they really do to, to live the life that they want. And so I think I would go back and, and, and tell myself that, you know, it's not all on the line every single day, right? And, and the intensity, although it's important to have the focus and the intensity, maybe not being so hard on myself, I think coming through some of those those lessons and enjoy the ride. I mean, you really can build a life around what you say is most important to you, right? Like I cook my son breakfast every single morning. I take him to school. I love to read. I read every day. I exercise every day. I mean, most people are like, how do you do that and work? Well, I work 20 to 25 hours a week and we still crush. It's possible. Love that. I absolutely love that. I know sometimes money's just not the answer. It's the freedom of the time, right? To choose what you want to do. And sometimes you can be even more productive if you actually do those things, like you said, read read and exercise every day so that you're almost like biohacking your your time and your time management. I love that. I love that. And as you mentioned, like what you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but What's up in your world in the next like few months? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, we're, well, so we're working on the raise. It's $5 million fund. Um, it'll be a hard money lending fund. 
And uh, it's meant to, again, free up the operating business, maybe allow some larger acquisitions. So we're working on that. I've co-branded Make Me the Bank and The Stock Alternative, uh, which I love because I think it's really timely right now. But um, I've partnered with a, with a gal out of Phoenix. She's fantastic. Her name's Amy Cooper. We're, we're just charging off into this capital, I think, direction. I think there's going to be a lot of buying opportunities in the next 12 to 18, like we've talked about, uh, months. And we just want to have some dry powder. I've, I've got the ability to chew through assets. We've learned how to do that, right? And we're working on making sure we've we've got the capital to, to really buy and sell strategically as the opportunities start to come back around. It's been tight this last this last couple or three years, but I think it's it, it's coming. I mean, there's a lot of leading indicators that would that would tell you it's coming. So it's what we're working on, trying to trying to raise capital. Uh, I love that. I love that, Matthew. It's amazing. So for anyone who's interested in getting in touch with you, or maybe is interested in investing in the fund or anything like that, what's the best place to reach you? Yeah. So you go to makemethebank.com and watch the video sales letter that I that I filmed. It's only 13 minutes, I think, and you'll actually learn a lot about lending and uh, real estate. The stock alternative, thestockalternative.com also is a, is a fund related website. Same thing. We've got some educational information on that. And if you'd like to set up a call, you just click the links and fill out the web form. I'm accessible. Amy Cooper's accessible and love to connect. I mean, it doesn't even have to necessarily be about the fund stuff. I'm a teacher, right? I love to educate. I love doing things like this with you. Thank you again for having me. You know, I try to help everybody. I want everybody to win in real estate and uh, change lives for the better. And that includes everybody that we touch, right? Appraisers, closing attorneys, agents, the folks that are distressed that we might be buying assets from. I mean, it's it's just my team, right? I want everybody to win. So anything I can help people with is is always an open invitation. I love it, Matthew. Thank you so much for being here today, for offering your insight, telling us kind of what's next and how to prepare for these uh, really interesting markets that are about to surface uh, all across the U.S. So thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. underdogs, underdogs.